This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, why is Sky putting its top dollar sports like rugby, netball, and league on TV for free this season? Free to wear sport. The tides they are returning. And advertisers are keen to get in front of, you know, highly engaged eyeballs. Still a bit surprised. I never saw that coming. That's later on. But first, in some years, our media have been ambivalent about Waitangi Day and even, in parts, hostile at times. But this time, a new united front amongst Māori against new moves by the government gave it an extra edge. Some even called it historic and a turning point. So how did our media go depicting all that? The Prime Minister acknowledges that feelings were heated at Waitangi today but believes at times there wasn't enough respect shown to some speakers. Both Winston Peters and David Seymour engaged in jousting with people at the treaty grounds with much of the ACT leader's speech drowned out by Waiata. That was part of the RNZ News headlines at 4.30 last Monday, the day the coalition government leaders faced a pretty tough crowd at Waitangi. And RNZ's wording there conjured up images of the leaders of New Zealand First and ACT charging their critics on horseback, bearing a pointy lance each. But the jousting was, of course, only verbal. And like some of the things said in Waitangi oratory, this was not meant to be taken literally. For example, a former minister in the previous government, Pini Henare, was also at pains to point out the same day he was only speaking figuratively in te reo about firing shots at political opponents. But on social media, act leader David Seymour reacted this way. He should be held to a very high standard for talking about shooting people. The fact that he gets a free pass for saying it in Maori on a marae points to some of the challenges we have in New Zealand. Predictably, many of his critics counterposted audio of David Seymour's News Talk ZB interview last year, in which he fantasised about blowing up the Ministry for Pacific Peoples, Guy Fawkes style. Now, it was just a joke, David Seymour later said, but one which backfired a little when you consider that Guy Fawkes didn't actually pull off the gunpowder plot back in 1604, and he ended up hanged, drawn and quartered for high treason after he got caught. And 420 years later, almost to the day, some now see David Seymour's bid to redraft the principles of Te Tiriti o Waitangi as undermining this country, and even his main allies in government insist they don't support it. And the Prime Minister was on the receiving end of a fairly figurative gesture of disapproval too at Waitangi on Monday, reported this way by RNZ's Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch. Very vocal, responding to the speakers, jeering and shouting the hakapofiri, which we heard a little bit of there, was a loud, sustained challenge. It was very deliberate. The warriors came very close. Uh, one of them even lifted his model, bared his uh, genitals to those approaching. Again, a challenge. Another moment there that grabbed the senior journalists and writers in attendance who were on the lookout for vignettes to write about, as well as the vibe. And stuff's Adam Dudding seemed to improve. Special commendation for the chap who, at least twice, flicked his pew-pew skywards and vigorously shook his family jewels in the direction of our Prime Minister. Yet some were offended, pointing out that in any other public context, that'd be indecent exposure. Winston Peters rose to the challenge on the pie pie with what Adam Dudding described as a brief angry spray, telling his critics to stop the crap. And for the Herald, Simon Wilson said that Winston Peters' claim that people in the crowd didn't have his own long history of fighting for Māori rights was preposterous because... The crowd was full of people who have been doing exactly that for most of their lives, 
All those kuia and komatua sitting around under the trees, Peters knows full well who they are and the immensity of their contributions. And it turned out that Peter's own deputy, Shane Jones, did as well, as was clear when Blake Ihimaira, the co-host of the TVNZ Fakata Māori joint special, asked him this. Where are you going now? Going to join the protest or...? Uh, no doubt, uh, if I look closely, uh, many of my own whānau will be in that process group. But, you know, I see a lot of young protesters mm. there. They belong to the local church groups. They mm. belong to their local kapahaka. They mm. belong to their local schools, their school teachers, their labourers, their university students. This is the freedom that uh, is a key feature of New Zealand society, and that's why I say we should get jealously guard our liberties and our freedoms, and many of them are traceable to the Treaty of Waitangi, but they will disappear, at least each generation cherishes. Mm. And there were more bluster-free and fairly intimate interviews like that one, conducted away from the heat at the treaty grounds, in what TVNZ billed as a celebration of Te Tiriti o Waitangi through the eyes, songs, laughter and characters of those involved. And three other fully bilingual co-hosts anchored that coverage, alongside Blakey Himaira, Peter Lucas-Jones, Pere Wihongi and Turia Schmidt-Peke. And on the speeches on the paipai, there was some salty stuff from other leaders too, including Hone Harawera, which RNZ Checkpoint pulled out for its promo. He said your shitty house bill is going down the toilet. I think the people probably got it right when they voted for someone else. But it was the Prime Minister's speech that got the biggest reaction from the news media, perversely because it was the opposite of inflammatory. According to Stuff's Adam Dudding... A speech so magnificently banal that even the angriest of critics forgot to boo at him. And at the spin-off, editor Madeline Chapman said it was so boring it was actually an insult. And in his stated determination to talk about taking the country forward, the Prime Minister actually went back in time by one year. After a social media user stitched together video showing parts of last year's Christopher Luxon Waitangi speech with the same word-for-word as this year's one, the media seized on it. News Hub's deputy political editor, Amelia Wade, for example, confronted Christopher Luxon at Waitangi like this. But why did you copy your speech from the year before? Did you not we've pick got, up? We've got some great work to do. And that's all. Speech. And while she was at it, Amelia Wade criticised Luxon's media management. Refused to even acknowledge the multiple media requests from multiple news outlets. Luxon just wanted to boost it out of Waitangi. A Waitangi that many here say was among the most intense that they can remember, largely because of Luxon's promise to the ACT Party, which is allowing them to pursue that mission to redefine the treaty's principles. Writing for Stuff, Tova O'Brien said Luxon's speech actually landed about right. But in her Waitangi podcast, she was also miffed about the media getting snubbed by the Prime Minister. No dice. Christopher Luxon refused to speak to the public on our national day and refused to budge when we pushed back. So why might Christopher Luxon have done that? Last year, when he was leader of the opposition, TVNZ headlined a supposed controversy when his speech referred to the treaty as a little experiment, something he later explained perfectly well in interviews. And he also copped it from New Zealand First and News Hub for this. His use of cue cards. You should be able to stand up on our national day and give a speech without notice. That's right. Are you comfortable speaking without cue cards? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yep, absolutely. 
Marae is a place where you are expected to speak from the heart. Whaikorero is the lifeblood of the marae. It is usually spontaneous. And so using those cue cards, it felt a bit weird, it looked a bit weird, but also it speaks to Christopher Luxon's self-confidence and the confidence he has in what he is saying. It doesn't help with the authenticity issue. Luxon's authenticity was raised a lot at that time when he was under scrutiny for failing to cut through in political opinion polls, even at a Waitangi day when there was, according to the Herald's Audrey Young, so little controversy there seemed to be an effort to manufacture some. Now the Prime Minister's cut and paste address this year was also bulletin leading stuff for News Talk ZB during the Mike Hosking breakfast. A social media user has pointed out several similarities in the Prime Minister's speech to the one he gave in 2023. The video's titled, When You Copy Last Year's Assignment and Hope No One Notices. But an hour later, the host himself wasn't bothered. The history is the history and the dates are the dates and... It's kind of like, he's not a comedian, you don't, you, it's not a new show and he's doing a new tour, it's not the era's tour. And on his Wednesday morning media round, the Prime Minister himself doubled down on doubling up in his speech like this. That was deliberate, uh, it's important to have a consistency of message and particularly given some of the misinformation, misunderstanding around the treaty and what it means for us, uh, I thought it was important to express it again as Prime Minister. Hayden Donnell looked at that on this week's Midweek Media Watch at 9.30 on nights here on RNZ National last Wednesday with Emile Donovan, when they also talked about some other stuff in the news and one sensational-sounding scoop that was teased by Australia-based Sky News. OK, I've got a ripper story coming up this weekend on Sky News and involves sex work, the right to BYO booze to the races and, most importantly, a biscuit tin, an old biscuit tin. What do all these three things have in common well, I'll let you know tomorrow. So why hasn't that yarn seen the light of day? Good question. If you missed Midweek Media Watch this week, you'll find it on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for many in the media, the problem with the Prime Minister recycling last year's message for clarity was that much has changed since the change of government to the one he now leads. And he really shouldn't have sidestepped issues like the Treaty Principles Bill, the downgrading of Tareo in public service, and the scrapping of the Māori Health Authority. And the day before the politician spoke on the paipai, TVNZ's Māori Affairs reporter Tianiwa Hurihanganui told One News viewers all about it like this. The Kingitanga has well and truly built on the momentum it created when it called for a national hui last month. Their presence has set Waitangi alight and the energy they brought to the treaty grounds was, was nothing short of profound. The stage for Waitangi has now been set. The concerns of Te Ao Māori has been laid out on the table and all that's left now is for the government to front up to it. But on Fakata Māori's coverage on Waitangi Day, Far North Regional Councillor Penny Tawi Kleskovich made the point like this. I think this year's um, special uh, because of the Treaty Principles Bill. And you've seen uh, many from Ngā Whaarua, Ngā Motu, Ngā Maunga, uh, no Ngā Tōpito Te Motu, ko Whakatau ki runga, Whakaeke ki runga Waitangi. And they're here because they don't have any assurance from the current government and they're looking for answers. And when they don't understand, that's met with frustration. Now, Penitawe Kleskovich, also incidentally the son of New Zealand First Deputy Shane Jones, was talking there about frustration felt among Māori attendees at Waitangi. But also, the media were clearly frustrated not to get more from the Prime Minister too. But while the ACT Party leader was unhappy about being drowned out on the pipe pie on Tuesday, he has taken every opportunity to speak about what ACT wants in the media 
For example, the same day the New Zealand Herald published a piece by David Seymour headlined, We Don't Believe the Treaty of Waitangi is a Partnership Between Races. To which several people responded, Well, that's because it's really a partnership between the British Crown and Iwi and Hapu. Mihi Narangi Forbes devoted an entire edition this week of her podcast Mata to David Seymour's insistence that Tino Rangatiratanga was actually for everyone. Seymour said that ACT deserved credit for advances that even predate his own party, including deregulating broadcasting and creating the iwi radio network. You're not claiming ACT is responsible for Kohanga Reo, are you? Uh, no, but uh, Dame Ritana was a founding member of ACT and she yes, was. Yes, but you said and Kohanga Reo, so I'm just, just trying to understand mm. whether you uh, are claiming Kohanga Reo. Well, I think anyone that listens to what I've just said when I said we're responsible for these things even before we were founded uh, means that before the party existed in 1996, people that later became associated with ACT uh, were involved in beating back the state, advancing Tiruranga, Tiratanga and giving people more choice. And the return of TBNZ's Q&A show on Waitangi Day itself was devoted to the treaty principles issue and the ACT leader featured heavily in it, alongside the doubters and opponents. And in another of those fairly chilled out chats during TBNZ and Fakata Māori's special on Waitangi Day, Peter Lucas-Jones put this pointed question to David Seymour. Knowing that hapu and Māori, the terms, have been omitted from the drafting of your principles, are you happy to identify who wrote these principles? Well, the principles are taken straight from the treaty itself. So no, but who, guess... who, who's the author of the three principles um, that you have drafted? We have staff who do work for us. They're not the politicians. I'm responsible for their errors. Um, and they're not uh, responsible for, for their work. And they, they're not the ones that have the public profile I do. So, no, I'm not going to identify people. Um, but what I can tell you is that every politician has to draft ideas and put them up for public debate. It's when people get to have that public debate that they can have their input into it. And Peter Lucas-Jones also, incidentally, put that to the Prime Minister later in a similarly grievance-free chat. No one's been identified as the author of those three draft principles. Do you think that's a concern in itself? Well, again, we haven't seen a Cabinet proposal any draft bill, so we haven't started that work as I understand it. So um, I haven't seen anything as Prime Minister or as a Cabinet. On Wednesday, the Prime Minister finally confirmed, when questioned by the Parliamentary Press Gallery, he definitely wouldn't back Act's bill beyond the first stage. This semantic shift went straight to the top of News Hub at 6. David Seymour's Treaty Principles Bill is dead in the water. The Prime Minister this afternoon finally and unequivocally ruled out supporting it past its first reading. After which News Hub played the rule-in, rule-out game with the Prime Minister. You are ruling out supporting this bill beyond select committee process. I can tell you that the National Party position and leader of the National Party now, not as Prime Minister, uh, is that we will not be supporting that bill. But only hours earlier, ACT had already launched what it called a new information campaign and a fresh website to try and change public hearts and minds on the issue. And it's not the first such effort. Last week, readers of local and metropolitan dailies found an eight-page interpretation of the treaty inserted in their paper. And this was thanks to the efforts and deep pockets of the Centre for Political Research, a think tank led by a former ACT MP, Dr Muriel Newman. Now, this piece was written by pioneering Māori statesman Sir Apirana Nata way back in 1922, and it appeared to reinforce the notion that signatories did cede sovereignty back in 1840. 
Now, the Centre for Political Research, which uh, misprinted its own web address on the publication's cover, said this was merely an effort to stimulate debate ahead of Waitangi Day. But treaty scholar and lawyer Carwin Jones told Radio Waitea, today, this was a contestable view, to say the least. People don't, aren't going to suddenly become experts by reading one piece, and I think you need to be very careful about not kind of cherry-picking um, the kind of perspectives that just suit a particular ideological perspective. And, of course, that, I think, is what we see with um, the, the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. I mean, we know um, it's run by Muriel Newman, former ex-party MP, um, and, you know, it's really interesting to see the, um, the, the money that is, is going into um, circulating this, this one particular perspective of the treaty. The treaty principles bill may ultimately be dead in the water now, as NewsHub declared it this week, and also the New Zealand Herald, whose deputy political editor Thomas Coughlin said that ACT and National are both now talking about the bill getting two rounds of consultation, first as a draft and then when the actual bill comes out. This will drag out discussion on the bill, said Thomas Coughlin. There will also be opinion polling on the matter and a political effort to get debate and conversation going, much of it through the news media. Well, Kiriama Wright is a senior editor at the Okaha News Agency based in Rotorua and a board member of the Māori Journalists Association, Kawia Terongo. What did he make of the coverage of Waitangi 2024? Yeah, kia ora, I've been um, you know, looking at the different media reports over the last couple of days and also feeling the modi you know, of the media that were present at Waitangi Definitely, even over the last five years, you know, things have changed. I think there's a changing of of the guard as well, which contributes to the more positive um, framing of some of these stories. Um, I thought the national broadcast being led by an iwi radio station up north, for starters, was huge. That's Tehiku Tehika, so hats off to the likes of Peter Lucas Jones and his team who, who were able to collaborate with all of our national broadcasters to provide that. And then on top of that, we had um, presenters who were speaking Pākehā and Te Reo Māori. Um, I think it's definitely showed a maturing of our media landscape in New Zealand. You know, I was looking at um, News Hub's coverage at um, RNZ, at TVNZ as well. And, and you know, there was, it's easy to look at the positives because it was such a positive event. You know, there was no throwing of dildos or no dirt being slung at any politicians. So um, there was no opportunity to to report on that stuff. But I felt like uh, we are seeing some understanding amongst our media colleagues as to the importance and, and the power of our media. You know, I spoke to Mike McRoberts throughout the week and he's on this, you know, Tao Māori journey as well. Eh? And, and I could hear in his voiceover um, his pride to be Māori and his pride to be there reporting um, on these nationally nationally significant issues on behalf of all New Zealanders. So, um, yeah, it was awesome to see. Yeah, if we go back 10 years, the New Zealand Herald famously uh, for 2014 had a no-protest edition because, you know, people grandstand at Waitangi, which is an odd decision to make. They, you know, were putting columnists like Sir Paul Holmes, I think at the time, had well, not long before that, a couple of years before, done an angry column where he got sanctioned by the press council saying that Waitangi Day was a day for deluded weirdos and, you know, quite insulting. Um, Mike Hosking, even mm. a few years back in the Herald, saying there's no point in celebrating Waitangi Day. This time around, on the Monday, where the politicians arrived the day before, Waitangi Day itself, the Herald had a front page saying, this is a really significant day. Politicians here are discussing something historic. 
do you think that's a result of what you said, kind of well, maybe a changing of the guard over recent years? Yeah, yeah, largely, largely. I mean, you know, it's not all perfect. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, I was just looking through some of the wires yesterday and I saw a big post by John Tamihiri, the CEO of Waipareta Trust, um, taking a shot at um, the Herald and News, News Talk ZB for kind of still towing that same line that you just um, alluded to. You know, there's a story talking about the assault or hospitalization that took place after the concert at Hawani Waititi. Um, there's another story on News Talk ZB talking about, you know, how the traffic, um, the, the large numbers at the Waipareta, um concert blocked a lot of the traffic and a lot of the driveways, you know. So there are there are still those sorts of views and those sorts of angles being um, published. Yeah, but if that, um, if so that, that happened, it's to... fair to report that, is it not? Well, I mean, that's right, that's right. But, um, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of positive things that are happening that are also being missed. So the positive, uh, the, the angles... Um, uh, more accurate reflection of the day. Um, but I still think, you know, there's still a little bit of educating to be done as well. Journalists and editors, you know, some of them might, you know, balk a bit at the notion of whether the coverage should be positive or negative or, or whatever. I mean, you said yeah. more accurate there, a better reflection, uh, which is another way of putting it. But, you know, there was political stuff to be reported with the Treaty Principles Bill and the push behind it. That was fully f- facilitated, I would say, uh, in and around Waitangi Day. There was a battalion of young um, journalists, the young Māori journalists, um, working across, you know, different platforms like Taniwa Huri like Tahipauri or Forbes at RE, that's with uh, TVNZ as well. Because it's no longer the traditional platforms eh, of television and, and newspaper, we've got the social media um, news outlets now. And it was awesome to see this this young crop of talent coming through and showing some of the more vibrant um, aspects and, and angles of of Te Tiriti or Waitangi. Like you know, we heard a little bit about the forum tent, and I know you know that's not sometimes that's not significant to um, our motu. Um, but it was awesome to see some refreshing new faces and new talent coming through. Um, and, you know, as my in my role as a board member on Kawea Te Rungo, that's, that's a part of our strategy as well and ensuring that um, a lot of our young talent do find places and, and, and roles in amongst not only our Māori media organisations but our mainstream media organisations. And even then, you know, the fact that we've got these young Māori um, like Mikey Sherman, although she's you know the same age as me, in these key roles, I think even even that's a huge change over you know since ten years ago. Yeah, she's currently deputy political editor at TBNZ. Um, although they they have a vacancy for their political editor too, so we'll, we'll see what oh, happens right. there. Yeah, a lot of national news outlets they ran this line of like, um, or, or you know, some politicians said it. Christopher Luxon and his government has achieved the feat of unifying Māori. I don't know whether you think that's really true or maybe Māori opinion is a bit more uh, diverse, but that was certainly a message that came through in the media. But if there's something in that, journalists working for Māori media, are they expected by the audience maybe to reflect that? Or can they sort of put that aside with the traditional journalist's impartiality and say, we'll report on that no matter what you know the background is of a, uh, across the board of Māori that are opposed to what the government is doing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's you know, it's our responsibility to get um, the corner on both sides, and and th- there are some um, Māori leaders who do agree with that. You know, Waihoroi Shortland, I think, um, is on record congratulating or, or thanking David Seymour for being the catalyst of um, of mobilising this unity movement amongst Iwi Māori at the moment. Um, that's definitely not the view of all Iwi leaders, um, but it, it, it's our job to you know canvas everyone's whakaro. Our role, I feel like, is giving our people a voice and making sure we hear all um, 
perspectives of Tewi Māori. Um, and it's not about being easy on, you know, as a Māori reporter or Māori journalist, being easy on Tewi Māori, no. It's but but do they feel to... the pressure, sorry to interrupt you, that if there is a, a unity um, that was reflected in Waitangi in, in opposition to, you know, what the ACT Party's proposed and what they think the government might be facilitating, not just the Treaty Principles Bill, but other things, uh, Te Reo and Māori Health Authority, all that sort of stuff, is there a pressure on them to maybe reflect a sense of unity and opposition to the government, which, you know, some would say, actually, that's not impartial journalism. There's a saying in Te Ao Māori that there's no such thing as conflict of interest in Te Ao Māori because we're all whanaunga. It definitely is hard, but that's a, those are the sorts of principles that we try and teach our our young ones coming up. We, we, are, we are there as a voice uh, for our people, but also we need to be there to be challenging as well and training our young journalists up to, so that they're confident enough. Well, to finish, I mean, that brings us back to the role of um, Kawe Turongo. I, I think that was uh, revitalised, if I could put it like that, refloated back in, I think, 2021. I was at um, these issues beyond the Treaty Principles Bill are going to be debated. What role can Kawe Turongo play making sure that national audiences as well as Māori media audiences uh, are getting you know, really good coverage of these issues as they progress throughout the year? Um, well, I mean, there, there will be other huiamotu, there will be other activations coming up in the future. Um, and it is important, you know, to be able to use the people who understand the nuances and the contexts of all of this corridor to portray the message, not only for a Māori audience, but for a non-Māori speaking and non-Māori perspective audience as well. And, and I think we're lucky, you know, in the sense that we have the likes of Tianiwa and the uh, Mikey in there at TVNZ, Mike and and um, Anika at um, News Hub. Uh, some of them are, you know, they they've done the main. I think our our ability to report on these issues in the mainstream media are far better now than they were five or ten years ago. A concern, I suppose, of Kawiatirongos moving forward is that you know the Maori broadcasting landscape doesn't seem to be safe right now. Um, having spoken to the CEO of Te Māngai Pāho um, this week, actually on Waitangi Day. He's yet to have his meeting with the Minister, Tamapotaka. Um, so he, you know, we're still a little bit in the dark as to um, the future of Māori media under under this government. Um, but we are looking at steps to kind of mitigate or, or ensure that um, the role of Māori media um, remains as it did, you know, when um, Huirangi Waikere Puru and them challenged it at the Waitangi Tribunal more than 30 years ago. So it's going to be interesting. You know, we're looking at still doing our jobs, but also maintaining um, our broadcasting landscape as well. One initiative of the former government that the current one doesn't support is was that Public Interest Journalism Fund. Uh, as part of that, they prioritised um, Māori uh, content and, and roles in the three years that was in operation. Uh, things like um, Radio Wate, for example, was able to put more people in its newsroom, expand its programming. Uh, there were sort of partnership editors, even things like, say, National Geographic magazine, like outside of, you know, the strict daily news sort of diet, they um, were able to get one of their contributors to take a role in the organisation as a partnership editor, improve its coverage of Te Ao Māori and its output. Um, do, you, do you think that sort of stuff has paid off? Well, while, while we did support the idea of, and we were in discussions before the PIJ funding, you know, came about, uh, while, we, while we support um, the idea of the Public Interest Journalism Fund, my challenge to all of these organisations is 
um, front up your own money. You know, they shouldn't have to wait for extra extra money to provide um, opportunity for these roles. You know, TVNZ News Hub or, or Discovery. They, sh- they and, and I see they've they've grown the conscience because they were going to scrape the Māori affairs role, and now I can see it's being advertised again. Um, so that's a positive step forward. But that's my challenge to all of these other organisations: is they shouldn't wait for extra money to give Tewi Māori a voice. You know, they should there should be a responsibility on them to use the money that they already have to create these roles, these Māori editor roles, these Māori affairs roles. While we're having this discussion about Te Tiriti or Waitangi, we should be looking at how are we achieving um, honouring Te Tiriti or Waitangi in our own organisations. And so um, that, that's my whakao, and my hope is that, you know, do fund these roles themselves because it's important for the future of our nation. That was Kiriama Wright, senior editor at the Rotorua-based Okaha News Service and also a board member of the Māori Journalists Association, Kawea Te Rongo. Last month, few cricket fans here would have been paying much attention to the TV coverage of the lunch break in the first test between the West Indies and Australia, when the pundits in the studio filled up the time by talking about a sensational catch in a Super Smash match here at Wellington's Basin Reserve. Oh, Just watch this. Shot. Is this the greatest catch Straight that you've ever seen? It. Has it got enough? Oh, what a catch! Oh, it's got to be there, doesn't it? Oh, oh this is the Firebirds. And former New Zealand wicketkeeper turned commentator Ian Smith made headlines here because his comments about the catch were positive but also very rude about the local commentary. Though you'd have to have listened really closely to have caught the insult. No, I don't no. think it actually happened. They just tricked it up <laughs> with AI. <laughs> a bit of AI. New Zealand uh, domestic, hello. Shithouse commentary anyway. Uh, now, Ian Smith does of course know what he's talking about. He was the main Sky Sport cricket commentator for more than 20 years before New Zealand cricket signed a deal with Spark Sport in 2020. That's something he was reportedly not too happy about at the time. Now, it was actually Scotty Stevenson who called that catch in that match in question for TVNZ, which acquired the broadcasting rights to domestic and international cricket last year, following the closure of Spark Sport. And while that was just Ian Smith's opinion, TVNZ didn't let it go. A spokesperson responded... New Zealanders have strong opinions about the commentary, but there is no team that will please every viewer, particularly when that viewing audience is over a million. Now, a million people watching a Wellington Firebirds 2020 game at the Basin Reserve? Surely not. It turned out that figure was a cumulative one for Black Caps T20 games on TVNZ's platforms. But recently, New Zealand cricket bosses reported they're very happy with the viewership they're getting on free-to-air TV after years on Sky before that move to Sparksport. Now, before TBNZ took over Sparksport's service, Sky TV was, of course, the only game in town because the revenue the pay TV titan was able to offer the sports became critical to them. Way back in 2006, Sky was allowed to buy free-to-air channel Prime, now called Sky Open, and it put a sprinkling of live games from top tournaments and leagues on it to tease viewers with a taste of the sports smorgasbord that Sky had for paying subscribers. But last December, Sky pumped up the price of a sports sub by 11%, just as TBNZ launched a free online hub for all its new sports stuff. And then last Thursday, News Talk ZB Sports Talk host Darcy Waldegrave went into overdrive at the prospect of more on TV for free. Free to wear sport. The tides, they are returning. Do we look to Spark and say thanks for collapsing because you got this underway? 
because the latest news is that Sky Sport are on board. Plenty of free-to-air rugby league and rugby union on its way. It was announced this morning. So selected NRL, Super Rugby and ANZ Premiership netball games will soon be live on Sky Open for free. And Sky CEO Sophie Maloney told Darcy Waldegrave this. We think this is a beautiful win-win-win for, you know, Sky customers, for the, for the codes and also for our shareholders. But how can that be? And why would Sky screen more of its premium products that people pay for, for nothing, on its own outlet? Well, it turns out advertising is part of the answer. Um, so free-to-air does not generate what subscription does. Um, I don't want you to think that, but it certainly has a role to play. And advertisers are keen to get in front of, um, you know, highly engaged eyeballs. But for the sports and sporting franchises, this could be a problem. The chief executive of the Hurricanes, Avon Lee, told Newstalk ZB's Heather Duplessis-Ellen he was surprised by Sky's move, but keen. Uh, I think it's awesome news. Definitely, I'm still a bit surprised. Why? I never saw that coming. Um, I just, I guess, with Sky, they pay a lot of money for rights, and it's a subscriber model. So then to put a decent amount of content on free to air is quite a change. It's quite a shift. It's fan- it's fantastic. It's great for rugby, super rugby fans. But will this really be great for a franchise like his that struggles to put bums on stadium seats as it is in a competition routinely described these days as a bit of a rotten spectacle and having top live games on TV for free on Fridays and Saturdays won't help? Heather Duplossi-Ellen tried to put a positive spin on it on News Talk ZB. Where when it goes free to air and you've got all these eyeballs watching, suddenly people want to go to the games and the Basin Reserve sells out. Could that happen here where people are watching the Super Rugby and they want to go to the stadium? Yeah, I think that's that's got to be the strategy of Sky for a start is that they would hope that more people will watch the competition and then realise in order to get more of it, uh, you need to have Sky. But turning up at the Basin for cricket on a nice day is one thing. The option of staying home to watch, say, the Warriors live for free rather than trudging to the stadium at night is another. The pressure will also be on Super Rugby to up its game on the paddock as well as on TV. In the Herald this week, sports writer Gregor Paul reckoned that Sky has presumably gazed into its crystal ball and decided it needs to ward off the possibility of TVNZ building on its position as a serious sports streaming service and even getting into rugby in the future. Plenty to play for on screen then when the season kicks off soon and maybe even more for Ian Smith to gripe about. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back with more on Midweek Media Watch next Wednesday after 9.30 on Nights with Emile Donovan. And then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.